It's good to hear a joyful noise, isn't it? Um, We're going to turn to God's Word now, and we're reading from the book of Daniel. We started this last week, and we're going to be looking at the second chapter. Now, it's quite a, a long chapter, so I'm going to summarize the first 17 verses, and then we'll read it. Remember last week, Daniel had found himself taken into exile in Babylon as a young man. He and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshad, and Abednego, shake the bed, make the bed. And we had a discussion about whether it was into bed we go or, or off to bed we go. But that's a way we remember him, him and his friends. They were chosen to be trained in the University of Babylon for the Babylonian civil service under Nebuchadnezzar. But they were trying to, at the same time, be faithful as people of God living now in a land which was pagan. The story we pick up after two years have passed. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the most powerful man really on the planet at that point, he's in charge of this great superpower, Babylon, has a dream. And it's a dream that troubles him. Makes him worried about the future. So he summons all his wise men to come and to interpret the dream. That's what they did in those days. And all the wise men come... But Nebuchadnezzar isn't a fool, and he he thinks, well, these wise men are just going to tell me what I want to hear. They're just going to make it up. They're a bunch of charlatans. So he puts a test before them. He says, I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. I want you to tell me what the dream was and tell me the interpretation. And they say to him, that's utterly impossible. Only a god could tell you what the dream was and what it meant. And there aren't any gods here. So Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage and orders that all these useless charlatans, all these special advisors, all these these, these people that are around him are all to be executed. And that will include Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshad and Abednego, who are probably junior civil servants in that same wise mind group of people. We're going to pick up the story of what happened next in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. And this is after Daniel has simply sent a message asking that the king might give him some time so that he can interpret the dream. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishah, and Azariah. And urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me What we asked of you, you have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. 
Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who can tell the king what his dream meant. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown the king Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in your bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole of the earth. Finally there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet of the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with the clay. As the toes were partly of iron and partly of clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not made by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor 
and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chief ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word and for what is a terrific story, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, as we come to this prophecy of long ago, this word of your word that is true and trustworthy, we ask it would speak to us and to our encouragement. Amen. It's been rather distressing these last few weeks to imagine what it must be like to be a citizen of Kabul. To wake up one morning and find the Americans have gone, the Taliban are back. Heartbreaking. For those people, suddenly the future they thought they had is gone. The certainties, the securities that they have had, at least in part for the last 20 years, taken from them. Girls, women particularly, maybe with aspirations of university and careers, suddenly what? Maybe that's something that we need to think about. I I certainly think it's something we need to pray about as we remember the people of Afghanistan. I also think that in a small way, by making sure that there is a welcome for those that will seek sanctuary in our country, our land, perhaps our community, is our small part of meeting that need. So we will pray for the people of Kabul and Afghanistan at this time. That empathy with that people perhaps also helps us as we try to understand the background to this passage because that is the background to the book of Daniel. It is to have some people who suddenly had their future ripped away from them. They were young men of Judah. They had their lives ahead of them. They expected to live in a, in a land where God's law was respected, where they could experience their, 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 their faith, their, 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 what they believed. And suddenly they were carried off to exile in a land whose language they didn't even speak. They were carried off into Babylon. And not just that, the Nebuchadnezzar who carried them off 10 years later came back and destroyed the city they'd come from. Everything was in ruins and was gone. That is, though, when we look at the future, something we we all have that great fear of and and, and perhaps that experience of. We, We sort of plan out our futures, don't we? We've got our plans, what we're going to do, whatever age we are, what we intend to do tomorrow, the next day, what we've got in store for holidays or... If you're younger, your careers, your university paths, and 
there can be those points in life where suddenly the future you hoped for is ripped away from you. An illness, a bereavement, a family tragedy. How do you cope with that? How do you live in a new reality which is not what you wanted? And that in one sense is the book of Daniel. How do you live in a place where you didn't want to be? In a situation where you found yourself, which is at best your second choice. How do you sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? For us it might not be geographic, but it's certainly at times emotionally strange. How do you cope? In the book of Daniel, there were lots of false prophets who came to the people who found themselves in exile and said, never mind, don't settle down, just stay in your your little Jewish bubble because God will take you home very soon. You'll be back where you wanted, back where you you yearned to be. It'll be fine. Jeremiah, though, remember we spoke about this last week, wrote to the exiles and he said this, verse 5 particularly, he said, build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. You're in it for the long run. This is where you are now. You're going to have to learn to live there. You're going to be there, Jeremiah said to them, for 70 years. But he went on to say something else which was even stranger. He went on to say, seek the peace and prosperity of the city I have called you, carried you off into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will prosper. This is your home now for this time. You are going to be refugees. You're going to be exiles. You're not going to feel completely at home. But you need to put down roots and you need to bless it and you need to work for it. Now, this is counterintuitive. These people have been carried off by Babylonian armies against their will and their city destroyed. They don't want to pray for the blessing of, of Babylon. They want to pray that God will blow the place to smithereens. They want to pray that some big army will come and take them home and wipe out Nebuchadnezzar and all its rotten folk. God says no. The commission I gave to Israel, when I called you to be a people, when I called Abraham right back there, was that I would bless you and you would be a blessing to all the nations. You would bring my justice wherever you went. You would bring my love wherever you went. You would bring my light and my truth wherever you went. And now you're in Babylon, I want you to pray for it. I want you to bless it. I want you to love it. I want you to remain distinct, not in order that you would be a part, but in order that you would be transformational for the society around you. That's what the book of Daniel is about. It's about how do you in Babylon stay honest, but also stay engaged. And that's the challenge, I think, for the church where we find ourselves just now. We don't find ourselves under the Taliban, but we certainly find ourselves in a place where we're living in a society which is increasingly godless has increasingly lost its Christian roots, is increasingly hostile to what the Bible teaches. And in that society, we have to figure out how do we be faithful to what we believe, distinct, but also engaged. Because God wants to use us to bless and enrich the community around us, to bring justice and love as well as witness as we engage with it. So back to the story. King is on the war path. He's on the war path. Why? <laughs> because suddenly, he's worried about the future. There's a theme here, isn't there? This idea of what does the future hold? 
The king is worried about the future. He's had this dream where God spoke to him. And in those days, people believed that the God spoke through dreams. And indeed, the God of the Bible sometimes did. And so he brings his, his advisors all together. And he asks them this impossible task. And as I said, in the verse we didn't read, the king's advisor said back to him, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. So this is a polytheistic society, but also a society which is effectively almost atheist. The gods are just not around. That's not what happens. You're the power. You're the king. The threat is also a threat to Daniel because they're being trained to be wise men, to be involved in interpreting dreams and all these other things that, that Babylon did. And Nebuchadnezzar, his threats are really real because not only has he destroyed the city of Jerusalem, but if we read back in, in, in Kings and in the book of Jeremiah, what we find out that Nebuchadnezzar did is he took the last king of Jerusalem and had his eyes put out, but made sure that the last sight he saw was his own children being executed. So let's not beat about the bush. Nebuchadnezzar is serious and murderous. And here Daniel is lumped together with all the sorcerers and the enchanters. Now who are these people that are around the king? It's interesting what, what, what they're about. They're a bunch of folk that are around the king. They are experts. They know how to read the star charts and the zodiac signs. They know how to divine the tea leaves. They've got the psychology of dream interpretation and all these things. And what are they there for? Well, they're his special advisors, his spads. They're his special gurus and experts. And they're there to help him work out, prophesy, work out what's going to happen that might inform government policy. I suppose today the equivalent would be the economic forecasters, the meteorologists, the, the, the scientific modelers that enable our government to start to try to predict what's going to happen so that it can devise policies that will meet the needs. Of course, the message of this story is as skillful as wise men might be. The future is in different hands. The future is in God's hands. Daniel knows that the skills of Babylon, and they are real skills, he's been learning them himself. That's what the whole training is about, have their limits. Only God knows the future. And so it's interesting that, that when he hears that the wise men are to be killed, he, he, he sends a message to the king asking for more time. And then we're told, he says to his friends, oops, sorry, I've got that in the wrong order. He says to his friends, we need to pray to God for mercy. And what he's saying at that point is, yeah, the king controls the time and the agenda, but, but ultimately it's God's hands that we're in. He doesn't say, as he might have said, well, this isn't fair. He just says, I need time to see what the God of heaven wants. Verse 11, there is no one, the gods are not here. That's Babylon. And then Daniel will reply to the king, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. I know, says Daniel, the God is not just a theory, but he's the one I walk with the one I know. He's the one who holds my future as much as I have learned that my future is not something I can predict. And so here is Daniel with this vision. And for us, we have the vision of God as well, don't we? We have it 
in God's Word, His revelation to His people, His vision to His people down through the ages, which we find in Scripture. We have it in the truths that we learn that Daniel could only guess about of what God has done in Jesus Christ. The truths that we know. So, Daniel and his friends start to pray. It's interesting, as, as we read this, that the first thing Daniel does is gather his friends middle of Babylon, start to pray. One of the things that is quite clear as you read this book is that there is no such thing as solo surviving as a believer. We do it together, or we don't do it at all. We gather and we pray, we look to God's strength, but we do it together. It's one of the reasons it is so important that we have as a congregation fellowship, gathering, sharing. And we also have praise. You see, Not only did Daniel start to pray, but before he even went to the king, he began to sing a hymn of praise. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. His wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. You know, one of the things we do as believers is we sing songs, don't we? It's one of the things we've missed. But we don't do that because we're great singers. Some of us are. Some of us can't sing a note in tune. And we don't do that because we love singing. I, I, I have met one or two Christians who say, I don't actually enjoy singing. It's not my thing. We do it for a different reason. We do it because as we praise together, those words begin to hammer into us of who this God is. How great thou art. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is king. Lift up thy voice. We are reorientating ourselves to the truth, the deep truth of the universe, that God is in charge. We are reorientating ourselves and reminding ourselves of what he's done in Jesus Christ, of who we are in him. That's why singing and praise matters, because we are allowing the reality that we remind ourselves of in that word to reorientate us. It's interesting, later on we will find, as as Daniel prayed, he faced Jerusalem. And it wasn't just a religious tradition. It was a physical reorientation. He was saying, I might be living in Babylon with all its truths and all the things it tells me about where power lifts and exists. But I am, as I begin to spend time with God, reorientating myself to say the center of the world is where God is. My hope, my dreams are where I've come from and who I know I am. I'm a Jerusalem man in Babylon. And I know the promises that God has made to his people to take them back to that promised land. That is going to be my orientation. And here is Daniel praying. Even before he has success, he's praising God. Not saying, oh God, you've saved us, because that hasn't happened yet. But saying, I know that you are the one who holds the future. And the interesting thing is that's exactly what the vision itself is saying, isn't it? Whatever happens, God is the one who is in control and will triumph. And then that, 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 that great vision, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, because as I started to read up about this, I started to read that there are 12 different interpretations of how we can read this. But broadly speaking, what Daniel has shown is a session, a series of empires that will come in the future. Now, most scholars think that the, the head is the, is the Babylonian Empire. 70 years later, it will be replaced with the Medes and the Persians. And then that will be replaced with the victory of Alexander the Great. And then Alexander the Great, his Greek Empire, will be replaced by the Roman Empire. And so we have all these different empires before the stone that comes not from human hands. The kingdom of God smashes them all away. 
And again, we might look from a Christian perspective and say, well, that's the coming of Jesus Christ. It changes absolutely everything. The point, though, isn't working out what the timescales of empires are. That's not the point of the dream. Lots of folk have got caught up in Daniel trying to predict what will happen in history. The point of the book of Daniel isn't what will happen, it's who will happen. Who controls it? Who lifts it? These empires that seem so permanent, these cultures that seem to tell us who we are and what we're about, they actually will pass away. And it's very interesting, if you think about it, they get progressively weaker. Don't they? Gold, silver, bronze, clay. What does our society tell us? That human achievement is getting better and better. You know, people talk today about politics that's progressive. Theology that's progressive. As if somehow, if you progress through time, it will get better. It will get more holy. I, I don't understand how anyone that reads history can believe that. The 20th century has been the most violent, murderous century that there has ever been. And the 21st century, by the way, doesn't look much better. In fact, we are on the brink of doing what no generation in the past has done, which is destroy the planet. In fact, the Bible tells a very different story. Yet technology gets better, yet some things get better, but actually the ripples of sin that go down through the ages mean that more and more is destroyed and defaced as we move further and further away from God. What is needed is not human progress to a better empire in another kingdom. What is needed is the power of the kingdom of God that smashes everything away and starts again. What are we to learn from this? The first thing is that as mighty as whatever regime it is we live under is, as significant as the questions of our day are, they are very, very temporary. They all fall. The last of those great empires, of course, that fell was the Roman Empire. It's very interesting because in the New Testament, I'm always struck that you've got this idea of these people who are remodeling the world around them. Augustus, the great emperor, Caesar, Nero, Brutus, these great big players on the Roman stage. And on the other side of it, you've got some Galilean fishermen, Peter, James, and John. And if you'd looked at that in those days, you'd have said, these guys are going to reshape the whole world for the next millennium, and and, and these Galilean fishermen are going to amount to nothing. But here we are 2,000 years later, and we call our children Peter, James, and John, and we name our dogs after Roman emperors. God turns things around. I was saying earlier, at one point, the most powerful man on the planet was Nebuchadnezzar. Well, I can see a Daniel in congregation this morning. I don't see a Nebuchadnezzar. Anyone want to call the children Nebuchadnezzar? These people that seem significant for a little while soon vanish. They're gone. What is that hymn we sing sometimes? So be it, Lord, thy throne shall never, like earth's proud empires, pass away. Thy kingdom stands and grows forever, till every creature owns thy sway. It's from the day thou gavest, Lord, is over. You're singing, by the way, Daniel 2, when you sing that. So Daniel knows, and this dream testifies, 
to one simple truth, that whatever it is, is temporary and God's power controls and will remove it. And that, that means a number of, of, of very practical things for Daniel and his friends. It means you don't need to be scared about the present. This is not ultimate. Whatever the situation that you're facing, it's not ultimate. This will pass in God's great scheme of things. It will pass. And secondly, though, whatever it is that we're anxious about, whether it's the politics of our day or, or whatever we're involved in, don't invest everything in it. Because it will pass. But it also means the Christian is always hopeful for the future, for the God who made the world will come in power in Jesus Christ and will renew this world, is renewing this world, until a new creation comes in all its perfection. That is why the Christian is always hopeful, even in the days of darkness, of exile, because we know who holds the future for us. But here's the other thing about this story. That Daniel and his friends testify before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, when he hears all of this testimony, says, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the King of kings, the revealer of mysteries. Now, this is very interesting. Nebuchadnezzar hasn't become a believer at this point. In fact, if you read on to chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a whole lot to learn about what God is about. But here is the book of Daniel concerned that his friends will testify before this king, this murderous, rotten guy. And yet even here, a testimony, because God wants to teach Nebuchadnezzar, even Nebuchadnezzar, of what his truth is. He is the God of all people. And therefore, as we seek to live wherever we are, we seek to bless the people around us. We seek to bless and to transform even the things that we see as godless and hopeless, even the things that we see as oppressive. We need to be, as a church and as Christians, engaged in the politics of our age and our day, whatever our stance is, whether it's Brexit or Scottish independence or what party's in top or what's happening in Holyrood or Westminster, all of these things as Christians, like Daniel, we get engaged with. They served in these places. But it's also having a perspective as Christians that said none of these questions are ultimate. Who will remember the things of our day in 2,000 years? But the kingdom of God is something very different. I've lost my place a little bit. This is what happens when you depart from your notes. Give me a second. So we see something here of God's love. We see something here of God's power. We see something here of God who is engaging even with Nebuchadnezzar as he calls us to engage with the world around us. We also see that we can orientate ourselves around that ultimate truth that the future is in God's hands. This huge, big boulder is the end of the story, isn't it, in this vision? The knocks and demolishes everything. It's interesting that Jesus refers to that same story when he tells a story in Luke chapter 20. He tells a story of a vineyard. And the vineyard, in one sense, represents the earth, represents everything that God has made. 
And the vineyard is given to tenants, which represents the human race, to look after it for the one who owns it. But the tenants do their own thing. They ignore and forget the owner. They steal the vineyard. They grasp it. They treat it the way they want to treat it. And so the owner sends them messengers to tell them the truth, to remind them of who he is. And they abuse the messengers. They throw them out. They beat them up. So Jesus says the owner eventually sent his own son. The son comes to tell them and to call them back to know who owns the vineyard. They take the son and they say, well, if we kill him, we can have complete freedom. So they kill the son. And the story ends with a warning. And the warning is that the owner himself will come in all his power and will deal with justice with the world that's there. And Jesus quotes Psalm 118 where he says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. And then he goes on to say this, referring to Daniel chapter 2. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and everyone on whom it falls will be crushed. These reminders that in the end history is in God's hands. History is in the hands of his son Jesus Christ. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the future that we know is secure. And that is why, whether the immediate future, whether our futures look rosy or disappointing or bleak, we can have the confidence to go on. And the confidence to engage and the confidence to make a difference and the confidence to serve and the confidence to buckle down because we believe, as Daniel did, that whatever I am serving and I am doing is ultimately only for a time. Because eventually, we are going home. Back to Jerusalem. Back to where God called us and brought us from. So friends, we look to the future because we know who the future belongs to. Amen. We're going to sing a song that, again, just reorientates us with that. And we're going to sing King of Kings.